teach reading and writing at school. We do not teach speaking or listening, which to me is a terrible thing. I mean, we need to teach children to listen and to use their voice to full effect, which the vast majority of people don't. We think these things are just natural capabilities, and that's not true. Both speaking and listening are skills, and skills that we need to work at. Welcome everyone, my name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. What, what is it to truly listen consciously? And by that, I mean to listen for context, to listen for culture, to listen for values, or even more significantly, to listen for meaning, to listen for the space between the words. Now, in schools, we're taught the most basic and the most complex skills of maths, reading, science, and history. But what we are never taught is probably one of the most important life skills available to us. And that is to be able to consciously explore and interpret the world as it arrives through our ears. Technology and digitization has in some ways amplified our communication and we've all been beneficiaries of that. Yet at the same time, according to our new guest, the use of the human voice has become marginalized in that process. Today we send texts, emails, Snapchats and emojis all fantastic tools, if not a little bewildering to somebody like me. But before these tools, before language itself, there was only the human voice. Now, as most of us know or have at the very least felt, there is a huge difference between hearing words, having our words heard, and deeply listening or being listened to by another human being. We've talked about it before on this podcast in a multitude of ways, from FBI negotiators, you'll remember Chris Voss, to ex-monks. Yet our next guest is somebody I have been genuinely hoping we could bring to you since the very beginning of this series. Julian Treasure is a true master of influential communication, whose vision is to transform the world by inspiring people to listen consciously and speak powerfully. I believe his insights and message contain one of the most powerful tools of influence available, literally at your fingertips. And that is the ability to fully and intentionally understand and be understood by another human being. Julian is a sound and communication expert. He is a founder of the Sound Agency, which is a company dedicated to asking and answering the question of how does your brand sound, which is interesting just in and of itself. He is also the author of the books How to Be Heard and Sound Business. His TED Talks have been watched more than 40 million times. I'm going to say that again. 40 million times. That's 4-0. A testament to just how much thirst there is out there for this topic and its impact. His latest talk, How to Speak So That People Will Listen, is now in the top 10 TED Talks of all time. In addition, Julian is regularly featured in the world's media, including Time Magazine, The Times, The Economist, The BBC, and many, many more. In today's 
conversation, we unlock the following keys to listening with influence. Firstly, the difference between hearing and consciously listening. Now, if you can ingrain this one distinction in your life, I promise you this will be time very well spent. How the voice alone, regardless of the words, always tells a meaningful story. Why the vast majority of people don't listen and how to overcome that habit, which unfortunately tends to be wired into us from an early age. How our addiction to outrage and drama inhibits our ability to listen. Why the most powerful leaders are always, and this is very true, always the most powerful listeners. The power of silence as a sound. And why listening to somebody as if it were the first time can help love last over a lifetime. In a nutshell, Julian is an extraordinary human being with a unique vision. I'm so excited to be able to bring him to you. His vision is to enable a world that listens consciously and can express itself powerfully. Now, to be honest, as a leader, a partner, a parent, and a friend myself, I can't imagine a goal or an intention for those you love or do business with more powerful than that one. So sit back, breathe in every word and every silence, and as an exercise, try to take this time, this time you've carved out as an opportunity, not only to absorb the message, but also to practice listening. Practice listening to this podcast as one of the highest disciplines of influence. It's not easy. It's not even simple, not as simple as it sounds, but it is worth it. Please enjoy my conversation with the incredible Julian Treasure. Welcome to the podcast, Julian Treasure. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Julie. You're welcome. I'm I'm so excited to do this interview today. I've been I've been a huge fan of your work for many years, and so I'm. Before we get into it, I want to kick off the way that I would usually kick this podcast off, and that is to ask one question, and it is whether you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert, and the reason I ask is that I find that a lot of people, especially when it comes to speaking powerfully, they assume you have to be an extrovert to do that. Mm. So I'm curious, introvert or extrovert? No, I'm an introvert. And uh, it's interesting. I, I'm on some mastermind groups with people who do speaking. And I've discussed this also with Susan Kane, whom I know from TED very well. Um, it is amazing how many people that you see on stage looking calm confident and doing a really good job are actually introverts and you know basically recreate themselves to go on stage which does not mean becoming inauthentic it just means connecting with another kind of aspect of your personality I mean I think everybody's got both things in them to some degree uh, so it is possible even for the greatest introvert to discover their hidden extrovert when they go on stage a little bit um, and as Susan said sometimes I think she said this in her TED talk, you know, her year of speaking dangerously. It, sometimes you have to practice and get trained. And uh, I work with a lot of people like that who uh, don't find it natural and who really want to discover how to project that confidence, uh, not in necessarily a sort of uh, cheesy 
you know, inauthentic way, but just to, just to, to find the inner confidence to stand in their own truth, to be themselves authentically, but to be able to project that and not be shy or embarrassed about it. So that's a long answer. I'm an introvert. I loved the... I love the way you language that, that it's tapping into an aspect of yourself. And I think that's really important because it, there's also an assumption that, well, I would have to fake it or it, as you said, it would be inauthentic and that we all, you know, we all have those aspects. We have those two parts of ourselves. Some are more dominant than others, but all of us have an aspect of ourselves that enables us to speak in a powerful way. It might just look different to somebody else's speaking in a powerful way, but there's an aspect always that we can tap into. Mm. Definitely. I think it's there in pretty much everybody. I mean, sometimes it takes a lot more teasing um, to discover it. But, um, you know, you can I've seen some great TED talks from very quiet people. There's often this confusion of extrovert with loud and introvert with quiet. I mean, that is true to a point. And indeed, Susan's whole book was called Quiet. I think it's um, it's, it's an aspect of the personality, but you can be powerful in a quiet way. You can influence people in a quiet way. You know, I don't think Mahatma Gandhi did a huge amount of shouting or being demonstrative. So I think introverts can be great leaders. Introverts can be enormously influential in their quiet way. You you have said that the human instrument is the most powerful sound in the world. Why is that? Yeah, well, the voice is the instrument we all play. It is an amazing instrument when you listen to you know, the extremes of performance of the voice from Pavarotti singing um, to, you know, choirs of people making unbelievable sound to chanting to bellows of rage or war cries. I mean, it, it is the panoply of human voice is extraordinary. And it's the only sound that can start a war or say, I love you. It's the most influential sound in the world that, um, you know, that until we invented writing, which is only 4,000 years ago, incidentally. We've been using complex language for up to 100,000 years, according to the experts. Um, the voice was the way we transmitted all information, all emotion, all communication. And uh, it's relatively recent that so much has fallen on the eyes and the fingers, which is a different sub subject that we could um, touch on too. I mean, I think um, the, the Johnny-come-lately of reading and writing has to some degree come up on the rails and, and become an obsession with everybody. You know, we teach reading and writing at school. We do not teach speaking or listening, which to me is uh, a terrible thing. I mean, we need to teach children to listen uh, and to use their voice to full effect, uh, which the vast majority of people don't. We think these things are just natural capabilities. And that's not true. Both speaking and listening are skills and skills that we need to work at. I, I think that that's such an important point. It's if you if you look at the school system as it as it stands at the moment, one of the glaring holes for me is that we don't. I would I would language it as as negotiation skills. You know, the ability, but it's the same thing. the The ability to to be heard and to hear somebody else. Mm. Every single thing you do in your life, its success or failure will somehow be predicated on that down to your marriage, your career, your ability to raise funds, your ability to just successfully negotiate buying a car. And yet it's it's not taught at all. Absolutely. At schools. Absolutely right. 
It's the most important skill. It's the most primal skill. It's the most powerful way to communicate with somebody. And yet it's been sidelined in this headlong rush into um, text communication or written communication, which um, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not disparaging writing. Writing has caused some of the hugest uh, revolutions in the world. It's possible to publish it and replicate it and you can edit it before it goes out and it can be asynchronous. There's all sorts of very good things about written communication, but not to the exclusion of calling somebody up or going to see somebody face to face, which has become uh, for a lot of young people, actually, uh, the last thing they want to do. They would rather text or some sort of instant message people than face them face to face and have a conversation. And the spoken word also, tra- it, it transcends language. I was actually, I was in a cafe recently, two or three weeks ago, and there was a, a, a Russian grandmother who was reading a fairy tale to her son. And there was like this, this circle of enchantment around them. And no one understood a word. But just listening to her voice tell this story to her child or to her grandchild, you could see the smile spread, spread across the cafe. Like it doesn't even need to be in the same language for for the spoken word to have such a powerful impact. I agree. Uh, you know, I talk a lot uh, about the two sides of this. I mean, I asked Chris Anderson, the curator of TED, when I was doing my book, How to Be Heard, and I interviewed him. Um, you know, I've known Chris for a long time. He's seen thousands of TED talks, and I said to him, "Which is more important, the content or the delivery?" And he said, well, they're both extremely important, but if I had to choose one, it would be content. Because I'd rather listen to a shy or not very good speaker delivering something of amazing import than a glib and highly polished speaker with a vacuous, empty content. That's actually just irritating. So both are important, but clearly in that case, the story was a beautiful thing the child was entranced and the tone and the 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 prosody and the cadences all come from the passion of the the story um so yes we can decode a good amount of language from um from the the way that we use our voice from the way we say it uh, nevertheless i think what we say is incredibly important as well um and incidentally i mean the central thesis of the book uh, which touches on your story there um, is that speaking and listening are in a circular relationship and that's why although it's a book about being heard in other words speaking well it covers a lot of territory about listening the way I listen affects the way you speak the way you speak affects the way I listen it's a circle it's not a line so the grandma had a I'm assuming you know a small child there in rapt attention the listening was intense probably and that would have spread around that cafe to everybody else listening even though they didn't understand the content Um, if the child had been sitting there with you know an xbox or something doing something else it would have been a completely different experience so listening is incredibly important in influence and in the circle of communication it affects the way people speak it affects how those words land it affects their impact and uh, we can be a very powerful speaker but if we if we aren't a good listener that removes a huge amount of our effectiveness 
we uh, we're going to get into into listening a little bit a little bit further on in the podcast. But the, one of the one of the things I wanted to touch on first was you had said that many of us feel or fear that when we speak, people people don't listen, people won't listen, people don't listen. Now, for everything you know and and all your years experience, let's let's start with: is that actually true? Do we not listen most of the time? Yeah, I think it is true. The vast majority of people don't listen, by which I mean doing nothing else. You know, um, Scott Peck said, "You, it is impossible to listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time." And so, listening requires concentration. It it requires consciousness that you are actually doing something, and commitment because quite often there's stuff going on around us we need to take time to listen Um, and it's best done also with curiosity that's a wonderful value to have in your heart if you're listening to somebody to see what can I find out here what how can I connect what is there in here um, that I'm going to discover that's a great attitude with which to listen Um, so those four C's help a great deal but unfortunately in the world most of the time most of us are listening uh, with part of ourselves it's a sort of faux listening or partial listening yeah I am listening no you're texting that's not the same thing as listening well yeah I'm listening you're watching tv or you're doing the ironing or you're making dinner you know we live this incredibly busy life with multiple streams of input uh, to the point where many younger people are not satisfied with one Stimulus. They want to have their phone and a TV and something else going at the same time. And this kind of addiction to intensity is really damaging our listening. We're also impatient. I mean, there was a study by Microsoft a few years ago which discovered that the average human attention span now is eight seconds, which is one second less than that of a goldfish. Uh, and that's, again, uh, that's a casualty of the fast cut, fast edit multiple stream always on everything going at once FOMO you know fear of missing out so I've got to be checking stuff all the time Uh, it's a very different world to the world of 40 or 50 years ago technology is to some extent driving this and of course you know technology is unstoppable there's nobody who can hold their hand up and say well let's just pause and think about all this it 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 rumbles on um, and is completely Uh, remorseless Um, and I think we've got to be conscious of the effect of all of these things on our listening Uh, you you know you see it in politics Um, you know I'm always saying politicians go off and have talks I wish they would go off and have listens instead because you know our politics in the world is getting more and more polarized as uh, you know we have democracy or attempt at government in 140 characters we have this uh, extreme language being deployed we have post-truth politics we have um, lovely words like uh, you know I misspoke which means I lied but you know <laughs> it's been rewritten now um, so people don't resign for lying anymore lying's now an accepted part of politics and we the, the listening for these people is rather debased now, I don't just blame the politicians and I think we're to blame to a degree because we're addicted to outrage which comes from one of two big obstacles to communication which which affect our speaking and our listening Um, that particular one is being right we love being right 
the easiest way to be right is to make somebody else wrong. So and we do that a lot by being outraged in the media. Who's to blame? Who's who's to blame? Uh, because if we can find somebody to blame for this terrible thing, it makes us feel better about ourselves. The other one, by the by the way, the other obstacle is looking good. And uh, I've seen that affect a lot of people in their speaking, you know, the desire to impress when actually if you go on stage in front of a thousand people or you have a one-to-one -one conversation the thing to remember is it's not about you it's about them it's about the audience and the gift that you can give them and if you if it all becomes about you then it's a, a sort of performance in self-aggrandizement which is pretty shallow and people can see through that uh, quite quickly so um, yes Julie I'm afraid I do believe our listening is in danger uh, it's to some degree dying people don't realize it's a skill we don't teach it so we leave school unprepared and then we have this massive onslaught in our attention and our ability to focus and to concentrate and to to give that very rare gift of looking at somebody giving them our complete attention and really listening to them I, I think there are billions of people in the world who've never had that experience and I think it's a tragedy well, you were saying there about, you know, sound bites. We're living in a sound bite society now. Um, and also the the addiction, the addiction to outrage and how in constantly looking for something or being told what to be outraged about, I think it strips us. I really believe it strips us of any influence we have over our own opinions because all of our energy and attention is so focused on being outraged, on who's to blame as opposed to what the solution might be and also you know how do I actually feel about this situation separate to the emotional whirlwind that seems to be being whipped up around me the and with, and with the soundbite perspective I think that that's really interesting because I know I can fall into that trap where you're so used to everything being in soundbites you know it's a tweet it's a text it's a voicemail message it's an email that it's easy to become very impatient when and all the most important conversations you will ever have I have ever had in my life they're long form conversations they're conversations that meander they're they're conversations you have with loved ones where they're trying to pull literally a cobweb out of their mind and offer it to you and it goes all over the place at first you know those are the conversations that bind people together and solve problems and and you're right it takes time and it takes curiosity. Definitely. How do you how do you practice? How can you practice those skills? How do you know, a how do you know if you're not doing it? And then how can you start to practice those skills? Well, the first thing is to become conscious, and uh, that's a huge part of the battle. Actually, most of us go around relatively unconscious that listening is a skill, that speaking is a skill. We take them for granted, and we operate at whatever level we're at, which is pretty partial. Uh, because of this assault going on the whole time. Um, so realizing that these things are conscious activities is the first thing. Knowing that you're doing something when you're listening is a huge step forward, as opposed to you know, thinking about what you're going to have for lunch or doing whatever you normally do, um, planning what you're about to say next. I call that speech writing. You know, that's um, a form of listening which is very common as well. 
Um, so consciousness is is the doorway to all of this awareness, mindfulness of the importance of these two skills, and then of course working on them, uh, practicing them. In terms of speaking, um, I would recommend anybody listening to this who uh, feels that they could improve their speaking go find a, a voice coach. You know there are plenty of them around: drama coaches, singing coaches. Check out some on uh, you know the internet that are near to you. Go and have some tryouts find one you really get on with and then do some work and 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 work on uh, your breathing and your posture and the way you deliver so you can really find your most powerful voice most of us have a a, a very small amount of our voice being deployed and uh, you know people often say when i do speeches oh you've got such a nice voice well that's not an accident you know i've done work uh, so we all owe it to ourselves to make this instrument as powerful as it can be if we want to make a difference in the world of course um in terms of listening that's much more difficult you know there aren't any listening teachers out there none that i've come across anyway um so a lot of my book is about listening exercises uh and i give some in in the ted talk about listening which in incidentally has been seen by i think about one tenth as many people as my ted talk on speaking which says something about the relationship between those two things, doesn't it? You know, we're much fonder of outbound than we are of inbound. That is interesting. Uh, the the sense of, of the sense of, of power comes from comes from speaking as opposed to and yet the most powerful people I know, when you when you literally walk into a room and you can feel the gravity of somebody, that always comes from their ability to listen, to be silent. Yeah, I think great leaders need to listen. Um, one of the concepts that I've developed over the last few years that I talk about a lot in the book is that you always speak into a listening. And that listening comes about because every one of us has an individual unique listening. We listen through a set of filters and the filters are different from one human being to the next. Things like the language you speak, the culture you're born into, I mean, even you and I speaking English, you're speaking Australian English, you have an Australian culture, there will be differences. There are significant differences from time to time in the way language is used and understood. Um, then you've got the values, attitudes and beliefs that you accrete along the way from your parents, teachers, role models, friends, whoever uh, it influences you. And then in any given situation, you have you may have expectations, you may have intentions, you may have emotions going on. You may have assumptions about how this all works and how that person works and so forth. We do that a lot, you know, thinking other people's thoughts for them. So all of these things combine to create a unique listening that you have for me at this moment, I have for you at this moment. And if I were on stage, that all of those people have for me at that at that particular moment. So it's a, it, it changes over time and it changes with the people and the situation. And if you ask yourself, what's the listening, it can make you a much more powerful speaker and listener. What's the listening I'm speaking into? So how can I most accurately and most effectively speak to this particular group or this individual right now? That's a crucial question. And also, of course... And when you say, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, when, when you say, what's the listening that I'm listening into? Just so I know how to, f how to frame that in my own head is that would the answer to that potentially be i'm the listening that that i'm that i'm talking into sorry 
is extremely distracted. The the listening that I'm talking into is is highly emotive right now. It is very attentive. It is time poor. Is that the kind of of response that works with that question? Yes, and you'll you'll naturally start to sense it simply by asking the question over and over. This is a great practice to do every time you're talking to anybody. What's the listening? Uh, you'll start to spot it. I don't know exactly how we spot it. It's probably body language, micro signals that come out, you know, fleeting facial expressions. Uh, It might be pheromones. I don't know. It might be spiritual. Who knows? All I can tell you is that by asking that question over and over again, you become attuned and you start to realize that in this particular listening, I'm going to have to work a lot harder. I mean, I'll give you an example. Many times I've uh, been out and given talks and they know that I'm quite good at it because I've done five TED talks and, you know, I'm known to be a decent speaker and they're doing an event and they think let's put him on after lunch he'll wake them up and so I get what's called the graveyard shift quite regularly so I'm quite used to the um, the feeling of coming on and they've all just had lunch and the body language shows me that a lot of the blood is going to the gut there's a bit of tiredness in the room you know that's what happens after lunch we feel a bit dozy and distracted and so forth and we've we've just taken a break Uh, You know, it's like in cricket, you know, you come back on after lunch, you've got to reset and get back into the groove. Um, So I'm very familiar with that. And that's a listening that I'm very familiar with speaking into, which means I've got to work a bit harder at the beginning, certainly to re-engage them, to get them back on track, to refocus the audience. Um, And yes, so it is exactly what you just said. You know, this is a listening which is really with me or this is a listening which is um, quite elderly. And I need to to use language and cadences and so forth and and examples and metaphors and stories which are appropriate to that generation. I remember I did, um, I use sound a lot in my talks, as anybody who's seen the TED Talks will know. And um, when I talk about music, I've used a sample, which is the first chord of Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, just that chord, which people, many people, uh, certainly people, of a certain age recognize instantly and can identify and a few years ago I was doing a talk in in Istanbul to 400 students and I played that it was a wall of blank faces <laughs> absolutely no reaction whatsoever I thought oh I've got to update my cultural references here <laughs> so that was an example of speaking into the wrong listening and it doesn't land you know you have to be clear about the listening you're speaking into and making sure that the way you speak and what you say are appropriate for the listening you're speaking into. Also, I would say the listening is created partly by oneself. You know, we we create a listening for ourselves in the people who know us. You know, uh, when we started this, you had a listening for me because you know some of the stuff I've done. So that affects, you know, it's not just anybody. Um, and you know some stuff. And we have that experience a lot in our lives, particularly with our families, of course, my goodness. We have a listening for the the nearest and dearest to us. There you go again, doing that thing. You know, it it can become quite a tired listening, and it's a very good exercise uh, in relationships, in family, to say, right, I'm going to listen to you as if for the first time. That's a very loving thing to do to people, because you can rediscover. Yeah, you can rediscover the wonder of you know the person you fell in love with 25 years ago as opposed to there you go again you're doing that thing again that's who you are you know it's a it's quite a wearing thing to think that you know somebody we never know another human being truly 
So the, the listening I'm talking about, I call it the created listening. This is a really important aspect of communicating powerfully and effectively. Uh, also with the with that intention of I'm going to listen to you as if the, for the first time, you, it gives scope for that human being to have changed because you're no longer listening with the listening with the assumption that you know exactly what they're going to say because it's what they always say and it's based on a story that they always have you provide a small opening for that human being to have changed or 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 learned something new or to evolve in some way shape or form which i think we rarely do with people with cultures give them any opportunity to, to change at all yeah we have stories in our head all the time you know storytelling is a very powerful way of speaking but it's also something we do in our heads a lot you know we create a story about that person or that group of people which is an opinion and i think it's very important i in in the the uh, the last ted talk the one about speaking i talked about the seven deadly sins um and one of them is dogma which is confusing opinions with facts and we do that a lot in our heads and again, if we can become conscious, right, this is a story. I'm making this up about this person. I don't actually know if this is true about this person or this group. It's an opinion that I've formed and it's challengeable. You know, it, it can be changed. Let's keep challenging it. Like a, a good scientist with a theory. You know, a theory is just the, uh, the currently best explanation for a phenomenon. And what scientists, scientists are trying to do all the time is disprove that theory to find a better one. So there's no truth in science. There are simply currently best held theories. And that's a really good way of thinking about the stories that we tell ourselves about our partners, our children, our particularly our parents, uh, and also our colleagues and the people that we come into contact with and people we don't know particularly. Uh, you know, we tell ourselves stories about groups of people. Uh, you know, Mr. Trump is extremely good at uh, inculcating that kind of storytelling in the people who voted for him and a lot of it unfortunately is very negative I mean goodness knows what's going to happen when these people reach the US border but uh, the stories that have been told about them are uh, extremely prejudicial and uh, very unfortunate so caricaturing and um, dismissing people that is the opposite of listening to them listening is always the gateway to understanding and you know, I've done TED, TEDx talks around the world about democracy, saying that listening is the sound of democracy. We need to listen in order to understand. And that is essential if we're going to live in civilized disagreement with people, which is the basis of democracy. I may not have voted for it, but you guys did. And I have to live with it as opposed to, you know, get upset, argue, throw my weight about or even in large parts of the world kill you if I disagree. So these things are extremely important listening is the foundation of all i think uh, in in terms of influence and living peacefully civilized disagreement I, now there's also something that they could teach at schools i would have loved to love to have learnt the the skill set of civilized disagreement now you have said that our our voices are a toolbox that very few of us have opened so in terms of you know speaking speaking powerfully in order to be heard and then we've obviously got the being a good listener as the second part of that why why is it so important to work on your voice and and you know I was speaking to a magician just a couple of weeks ago 
a world-class musician, and he was saying that he spent seven years working on his voice as a tool. Mm. Seven years. And I know there'd be a lot of people out there listening going, well, you know, my voice is my voice. It is what it is. Why, why is it so important to work on it as if it were a tool? Well, first of all, it, if you don't want to make a difference in the world, if you don't want to uh, build powerful relationships and have any influence at all, probably doesn't matter too much. However, if your goal is to make a difference, if you want to do something, if you want to influence people, enroll people in uh, helping you, uh, it's very rare that we can achieve anything really entirely on our own then your voice is your most powerful weapon and weapons are instrument let's call it instrument or tool uh, i don't like talking about weapon when it's voice it's a tool and it's a tool that you need to learn and as i said in the ted talk and i say in my book we have this vocal toolbox and and we don't open it we don't go in there and rummage around and look at the aspects of voice the ways that we can make our voice more powerful I mean, I've, I've said go see a voice coach, and that's a terrific thing for timbre and for projection and, and power. I mean, certain things. Um, but there are other things about voice which um, you can learn yourself. I mean, you can learn any of them yourself, um, you know, starting with posture, for example. I mean, it's amazing how, how many people will sit at a desk slumped over a computer, um, putting stress on their vocal cords, talking on a phone with really important phone call. Uh, phone conversations going on but their vocal cords are, you know that they're, they're, they're pushing their neck like this uh, I'm now you know putting my chin out or they're compressing by putting your chin down you compress your vocal cords so you can hear the effect it has on the voice the cords are supposed to be in a relatively vertical state and then you've got breath breath is voice voice is breath and we don't think about how we breathe most of us breathe like a bird you know to the top of our lungs and we don't When's the last time anybody listening to this took a truly deep, huge breath? Try one now. You can really feel the lungs expanding and that gives you, breath is the fuel for the voice. It's, it's what you use. If you want to become a, a really good speaker, you need to work on your breathing and your breath and understand that you need lots of breath in order to make it work. Um, and things like the, the pitch, the register you speak in, whether you're speaking uh, in, you know, falsetto, possibly not the most powerful way to speak to people, um, or in what's called the modal register, where I am right now. And even in the modal register, you can practice moving your voice uh, from head voice up here, which is, uh, you know, throat voice, which is a little bit more constricted, where most people speak from most of the time, down to the chest voice, where you're res resonating your chest using this big resonator and gaining depth. And the research shows, just to prove this, we vote for politicians with deeper voices. We consider deep things to be more significant. That's because of the association with size. You know, an elephant has a deeper voice than a, a mouse, and you need to worry more about elephants than mice. They're bigger, uh, they can do more damage. So big things tend to have deeper voices, so we associate depth with significance or importance. And that association is there for everybody to see. And, you know, think about voiceovers in advertising. Think about, um, you know, James Earl Jones voicing Darth Vader in Star Wars. You know, that kind of deep, resonant voice has power instantly. You can do that to yourself by practice. How do you, again, I'm just getting really, really practical with this. I'm literally doing it while I'm sat here. 
how would I locate my most powerful voice? Now you said you've got your head voice, you've got your um, your throat voice. If I was going to try and locate it, I've never done it before. How do I locate the voice that is my most powerful? Because everybody's pitch and tone is different, but that is my most powerful voice. Nine times out of ten, it'll be resonating the chest because it's bigger and it gives you more depth in your delivery. Um, there are cultures which are entirely uh, nasal. Um, a lot of um, South American cultures and Latin cultures tend to tend to speak very much from the nose, you know, and. Th- uh, you, you, as you go around, it's an interesting exercise to listen to the voices of people around you and hear people who are absolutely using a tiny fraction of their voice by resonating entirely in their head or their throat. Generally, it's worth practicing moving down to the chest. And again, that's largely an exercise of consciousness. Uh, of course, your voice actually comes entirely from your vocal cords. Nevertheless, by breathing, and by focusing, you can resonate. Now, I don't know if it's technically possible to speak from the chest. Some people would say no, some people would say yes. What I can tell you is that when I visualize my voice coming from a place, uh, then that's where it tends to move to. So the practice would be, you know, sit down and start talking and start visualizing your voice coming from your nose, from your throat, from your head. and then move it down to your chest and breathe and get your shoulders back and down and really feel that your voice is resonating from your entire chest cavity. Um, That's the practice. You can work on this with a a speaking coach with lots of exercises which will really help to solidify this and, you know, work your diaphragm at the bottom uh, in, in the way it pushes the air up and helps you to project. There are technicalities, but again, uh, it's simple. 90% of this is about consciousness and awareness and just feeling where you're speaking from. Now, you had said a another one was pace. And I think that for me, this is one of the largest lessons that I have learnt in my life when it comes to speaking powerfully or communicating with influence in any way, shape or form. And that is the speed at which you speak. And I think often we confuse speed with energy and therefore impact. And actually, ironically, in my experience, use of silence is one of the most pivotal tools in in being heard. Sticking with that for a second, sticking with using silence, what are some of the practical ways we can incorporate more impactful silences when we speak without it feeling weird? Because that's something I get asked a lot I I would incorporate a silence, but it feels too weird. Well, I think the first thing is to make friends with silence. A lot of us are frightened of silence. I know people who, uh, when they who live in towns and go to the country and get you know upset by the tranquility, they they are used to the voice of the city being there all the time. So we do get desensitized that way. We get used to, addicted to um, there being sound. Also, we consume so much broadcast media now that silence is a little bit rare. Uh, On radio, it's called dead air, and people are a bit concerned by it because if you have a long silence on radio, people think they've lost the signal, they turn over, they get bored, whatever it is. So it's anathema to radio, largely. Uh, And to a degree, the same on television. Uh, People tend to speak fast now and fill every second with babble. It's not necessary. Actually, I have found that on stage, 
it's possible to pause for the longest time and people will just sit quietly and be with you. I'm talking about 10 seconds, even 20 seconds if you want. Now that seems like an eternity if you stop and stand there. Nevertheless, people don't get up and leave or start protesting. They just stay patiently with you. So it's much better than filling every possible space with either fast-paced babble, which can get very um, overwhelming and really lose your message, uh, or with ums and ers, which, you know, I've practiced for years not using those words, and I do advise anybody who is going to speak powerfully to anybody else to practice avoiding verbal tics like that. You don't have to fill the space. It's wonderful to have space. You know, space is like valleys and mountains. You, you can't have mountains without valleys. You have to have space in order to have words that mean anything. And it's the same in music. Space, silence, in other words, is the defining baseline. It's what makes sense of everything to a degree. Dame Evelyn Glennie, who I had the pleasure of meeting um, some years ago, said, silence is a sound. And I agree with her. I think it's a very, very important sound. So the first thing is make friends with silence. That is to say, practice it. You know, have a few moments of silence every day and you can actually start to enjoy it. Uh, it's the baseline, it resets and recalibrates your ears. Uh, it allows you to listen afresh. It's a very important thing to do for yourself. And it's a powerful thing to use, as you rightly say, Judy, in speaking. And if you're on stage and you say something really important, you can pause. And that gives everybody a bit of time to reflect. It, it allows the words to land properly and to take root. It's a really, really powerful thing to do. And I'm, I, I think you're right. It's one of the most common errors I see in speaking that people think they have to gabble and fill every word up, uh, every space up with words. Pace <clears throat> needs to vary, of course. You need contours in a talk. You, you need to get very fast and excited sometimes. Other times you slow right down. And that variation keeps people with you. Uh, monotony means monotone. And, you know, we haven't talked about prosody, but the up and down, the way we deliver like that, it's so important. Just in the same way, if you are at the same pace throughout a 20-minute talk, you'll see people's eyes glaze over because they need variation in order to understand the structure of what you're saying. It's incredibly important. A piece of advice somebody once gave me, which was, well, two pieces of advice. The first one was start any, not just presentation, but any important conversation with a couple of, a few seconds of silence. It just, it sets up the gravity. It provides a space in which the conversation can sit. And it also sets up your authority in that moment, your intention, your seriousness in that moment to not feel like you have to immediately jump in. So that was the first one. And the second one was if you, if during that conversation or presentation, you want to deliver kind of the one thing, you know, the, the one thing you want them to remember, the one point you want them to take away, drop your voice a few octaves mm. because it goes in at a totally different level. Has that is that also your experience? Yes, I mean, that's almost a technique from NLP called anchoring. You can do that with your tone. You can do that with your pace. So if every time you say something important, you say it in a particular way, people very quickly get that association. 
and your points will land uh, that much faster and more powerfully. Uh, and it's certainly true that if you're, if you tend to be speaking quite lightly and highly, and then you go down to say this, it definitely has an impact. People associate depth, as I said, with profundity or uh, seriousness. Uh, so you, you wouldn't find uh, many politicians delivering, you know, some incredibly important point in a light and happy kind of tone like that. You know, they'll be serious and profound and down at the bottom end of their register. Margaret Thatcher had <clears throat> training for years uh, in getting her voice pitched down because she knew that uh, lower voices have more authority. So definitely true to say that. In in the years you've been been doing this, and and you know, I remember when I when I saw your first TED talk, and and you've just done a, a more recent one that was equally as amazing, although you said not watched by as many people because it was about listening as opposed to speaking. In all over those years, what's the one habit that's made the biggest difference in your own ability to speak powerfully and be heard? Uh, well, understanding that listening is is everything uh, you know I keep coming back to listening and um, when you walk on the TED stage it's a pretty daunting audience you know you look out and oh there's Jeff Bezos oh there's Larry Page um, oh there's Bill Gates you know that's it's kind of it's quite a daunting bunch of people to talk to um, so it is uh, an imposing listening but at the same time the TED listening is very wonderful it's a passionate listening those people are there because they're curious they're interested, they want to discover. So that gave a lot of confidence in those particular talks. And and I've carried that through really um, in all the talks I've given. Uh, being aware of the listening, uh, I'm lucky enough to talk most of the time to people who are quite interested by what I'm going to say. I haven't had many examples of talks where I'm in a really hostile situation um, and having to fight. Although I've done that many times in business presentations, uh, you know, speaking into a pretty hostile listening. Um, so let's, I'm just, I'll stop you there. Let's look at that for a second, because I think that's an interesting point that I had not even thought of. Does it alter from a receptive to a hostile environment? Oh, yeah, massively. And the easiest way to defuse hostility is to listen, surprisingly enough. I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but there's an inverse relationship between listening and upset in my opinion um the more you listen the less upset somebody will be you know um i had a friend uh, who was telling me about an experience he had where he pulled out in front of somebody and then had to stop at a traffic light and the guy was so incensed he got out came round and started screaming at him through his car window so he wound down the window a little bit and instead of well doing one of the two things that would inflame the situation either leaving the window up and pretending to ignore the person uh, or winding the window down and engaging in a, a fight uh, what he did was to listen and in a particular way which is called reflective listening where you repeat back what the person says and the guy was screaming at him you pulled out in front of me I nearly had it so I've got a child in my car you know this kind of thing okay I heard that I pulled out in front of you and you have a child in your car and you nearly had an accident and, and as he was doing this the guy started to calm down and calm down and calm down until at the end he was speaking normally and then my friend was able to say would you like to know what what happened with me 
And the guy said, well, yeah, okay. And my friend explained that somebody else had stepped out in front of him and unsighted him and, you know, this had happened and that happened. And the guy said, okay, okay, I get it, I understand. So they ended up apologizing to each other and moving on with their lives. Now that's just about listening. So listening diffuses upset. At the same time, I think it's true to say the more upset you or I become in a conversation, the less we listen. You know, it's very hard to listen when you're being hugely self-righteous and angry and upset and, you know, hurt and whatever it might be. Uh, so I think listening is the key to defusing. If I walk into a, a business presentation uh, and it's a hostile audience, you know, they I've done this once or twice in my life where, you know, people have been told to attend. I'm selling something that they don't want. Their boss says they want it and they're pretty antsy about it. You know, that kind of situation. Um, then you have to break the fourth wall. You know, the concept of the fourth wall in cinema. Um, where, no, I don't. Can you explain that one for me? Um, a cinema, when you're sitting in a cinema, you've got two side walls and a front wall in front of you. And you're supposed to ignore, sorry, and a wall behind you. And the, the, the wall in front of you is supposed to not exist. You're supposed to go into the fantasy of what you're seeing. But there is, in fact, a fourth wall. It is being projected on there. And it's broken when, for example, in a film that you're watching, somebody turns to the camera and talks to you as an aside. So they're immediately saying, hang on, this is a film. You're in the audience. You're watching me and I'm talking to you. Whereas most of the time that is forbidden because it, it breaks the fourth wall. So what I mean by that in terms of a presentation uh, is you could pretend this is not going on. You could go on and do your presentation to the very best of your ability into this hostile audience. Or you can stop after a couple of minutes and say, guys, I can tell you're all pissed off. Can we sit down and have a chat about this? and about how this has come about and whether there's a solution for this because there's absolutely no point in my pitching this to you when clearly you don't want to hear me. Then you establish a human communication. It's breaking the rules. It's kind of going outside of what you're there to do. But when you establish that is the listening I'm speaking into, there's often or sometimes in that situation, there literally is no point in continuing with what you were going to do much better to uh, to have a different conversation and see if there's any future in this otherwise you know I would quite happily pack up and say okay well now I, I get completely you don't have the money you've just been told to be here it's, it's a mistake so rather than waste any more of my time and your time let's call it a day uh, so I, I often will do that kind of thing in a, in a conversation in business uh, and I think it's all again part of listening to the listening what's the listening I'm speaking into just reminded me I can remember a few years ago my phone ringing this is when I had a talent management agency for speakers and it was one of my team who was in a in a different country calling me in a panic he was just about to get on stage I think he was only a few minutes from getting on stage and the CEO had just gone onto the stage before him and announced to the entire room that there would be massive layoffs yeah. and then got off the stage and then it was it was my colleagues turned to, to go on and, and try and raise the energy of, of that room. And he called me and was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, my entire presentation is, is redundant now. And I remember saying, well, you can't, you can't do what you were going to do. You know, there's, there's too big an elephant in the room. Mm. You, need to, you need to go on and, and I was frantically, I mean, I was pedaling so fast, making it up as I went. I was like, maybe ask them. You know, maybe go on and ask them what's the most helpful thing 
on this topic that you could speak about right now? What questions do they have on this topic? Mm. And draw it out of the room. And that might be a better way forward. And he did, and it was, I think, as successful as it, as it could have been mm. in a situation. Absolutely. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But speaking to what's there as opposed to what you had hoped would be there. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And uh, often if you're in a multi-speaker event, uh, it it is very important, I've found, to be in the room for as much as possible, particularly for the person before you, because you really don't know how they've affected the audience unless you do that. And I have had to go on uh, sometimes after somebody who's really upset the audience by making some sort of, you know, crass joke that's politically incorrect or um, just landed really badly or by you know saying something negative or announcing something negative yes it's you you need to know that that radically affects the listening you're speaking into and 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 what you can do and you may have to as your friend did suddenly change your your entire uh, content and and delivery as a result of that so that's a good tip for anybody who who goes to multi-speaker events don't just waltz into the room and do your bit uh, you need to be there for as much of the thing as possible which is also very good because you can refer back to previous speakers and you sound more interested and more connected and more engaged and more part of the thing. I mean, it's just polite and good and good professional behavior, in my opinion. So let's let's talk about let's go into conscious listening. Um, we've, we've got some tools there for powerful speaking, how to how to locate your voice, how to use your voice, how to adapt to, to different groups and different audiences and different listenings that you're walking into. You had this beautiful um, acronym, I thought, for, for conscious listening to, to be able to run through in your mind. Am I li- listening consciously in this moment? And it was RASA, I think I've, I've pronounced that right. Quite right. RASA, can you walk me through that? Absolutely. Yes, rasa is the Sanskrit word for juice, but in this context, it stands for four very important things, which are, it's a really good um, acronym to bear in mind when you're in a conversation with anybody. Uh, The R is for receive, and that is to give somebody your full attention. As I said earlier, I think there are a lot of people who've never had that gift. It's a great gift to give some, it's an enormously loving, kind thing to do to somebody else, to give them your complete attention, not be looking at your phone, not be looking around, looking at them, I mean, the the eye dance in Western communication anyway is that the speaker tends to look around and check back in from time to time to see if the person's listening. The listener looks at the speaker. And if you're not doing that, uh, then you're effectively saying, I'm not really listening to you. And we all have, you know, memories of experiences where we've been speaking to somebody who's looking at something else. And you end up saying, are you listening to me? because they are not giving you the body signals that say I'm in receive mode. So looking at them, leaning forward is good body language, um, nodding, whatever it may be, and not doing anything else. The A is appreciate, and that's the little cues, uh, typically with the voice, Mm, oh, really, Uh, which, you know, you don't do on radio or in podcasts so much, so, you know, otherwise this would be littered, and it's confusing for people listening if, uh, if you're going oh, ah, mm, all the time or if I'm doing that to you. So it's more polite on radio to be quiet and listen. Nevertheless, in face-to-face conversations uh, or even on the phone, it's quite important to let the person know that you're with them. Uh, face-to-face, that would also be facial expressions, eyes widening, eyebrows lifting, smiling, nodding, and all of these kind of things that uh, let somebody know that you're actually with them and listening. That's natural for most of us. 
Um, nevertheless, if you get into the habit of looking down or being completely passive, it's quite daunting. Um, I used to do that on purpose in interviews. I was I was not very nice to <laughs> to some of the people I interviewed, but I I wanted to see how they'd perform in completely no feedback. So I would sit absolutely impassive um, for the first part of the interview and see how they reacted to that particular listening, which is a, a little bit daunting and um, difficult. I wanted to see how they overcame adversity. Uh, I didn't know the phrases I know now about how I was changing the listening, but it was an interesting exercise. And um, the, the right kind of people that I was looking to employ who were kind of bright and um, pretty confident and so forth for the jobs I was interviewing then, uh, they would overcome that. And, and some of them would even break the fourth wall and say, are you listening to me? I'm not, I can't tell what feedback, you know, I can't tell what you're thinking, which is great because, you know, then somebody's got a lot of confidence. Um, so appreciate. The S is for summarize. And that is the word so. I'd like to form a society for the preservation of the word so. Uh, and it's unfortunately very prevalent in your country. Uh, what do you do? So I'm a cricketer. No, I'm sorry. There's no logical link between those two things. You're not a cricketer because I asked you. So means this, then that. Uh, there are even TED Talks, unfortunately, now where the person gets on stage and the first word they say is so. It's become a kind of verbal tick for some reason, but it is an incredibly important word. We've agreed this, so we can move on to that. So we've all agreed to these proposals, now let's move on. It's a summary word, and it's a very powerful word in a conversation. It allows you to close doors in the long corridor of the conversation, you know, to lock down things that have been agreed. So what we're saying is this, yes? Okay, now let's move on. Summarizing is a very, very powerful way of, of uh, agreeing and concluding. And in a negotiation situation, it's really key to be able to, uh, you know, agree the little points, batch them up and put them away and move on with the word so. Um, and then the A, the last A, is ask. Asking questions all the way through at the end. It's a very good way of showing that you're keenly involved and also teasing out you know, the angles on the conversations that you particularly want. And again, in a sales conversation, the most important of all. I mean, any great salesperson will tell you the most important part of a sales conversation is the listening, and the listening comes after the asking of appropriate questions. So ask is very important too. So that's rasa. Receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. I have to say that that's so point for me just just in personal relationships marriage in particular or any type of of intimate personal relationship that has been a game changer for me to the languaging so if i've heard you correctly and then summarizing what they've said just not only does it save on miscommunication on i thought you meant this it also means the other person just feels so intensely heard that you can repeat back what they said. Definitely, it's it's critical. Repeating back and validating somebody, you know, it's said in relationships, we want to be heard, understood and valued. And uh, those three things are achieved really when you repeat back, you say, so I can, under, you know, this is what you've said, I really understand how you could feel that. And that's heard, understood and valued all at the same time. 
So it is a very powerful little word. You're right. One of my one of my final questions is around the word intention. You had said that intention is is very important when it comes to the listening of of sounds. Now, what I took my interpretation of that is stating an intention before you speak or stating your intention to hear somebody and the power of that. Have I have I interpreted that correctly? Is that why it's so powerful? That's one level on which it's very powerful. Uh, when you're speaking, there are actually three intentions in the room and it's pretty important to be aware of them all. There's my intention for me. What do I intend to get out of this? There's your intention for you and there's my intention for you. So I've got two what do I intend to get out of this? And what do I intend for you to get out of this? You have your intention for you, which is what do you want to get out of this conversation? Um, and if it's a, uh, you know, if it's an equal conversation, you'd have four because you don't also have your intention for me going on. So intention is very important in communication. And if you stated up front, you know, what I'd like to achieve in this meeting or in this conversation is this. What about you? That is very powerful. I mean, I've worked with uh, management consultants who charge a lot of money for this piece of advice. They start every meeting by stating at the top on a whiteboard the intention for the meeting and have everybody agree. This is what we're trying to do here. Uh, incidentally, I also love the practice of setting an end time for a meeting. That's something that people <laughs> very rarely do in my experience. They set a beginning, but they don't say this is a 35 minute meeting. It's just assumed everything's an hour, uh, which is generally not necessary you can have a very very good 15 or 20 minute meeting um, so yes intention at that level is uh, extremely important but also in sound intention drives the effectiveness of any sound so not just with the voice I mean a musician or a composer has an intention when they create a sound an animal has an intention when it creates a sound so the intention tends to drive the impact and effectiveness of the sound. Sound works through the intention at the sending end and also then the association at the receiving end largely. We associate that sound with things we've had in the past. And that's true also of voices, uh, of words, of situations. Uh, and that's all part of that listening again that we come back to. So yes, intention, incredibly important. I, I loved your I loved your answer. My final question: You were asked a question. What would the world be like if we were speaking powerfully to people who were listening consciously? And you said it would be a world where understanding would be the norm. And if I, not that you haven't had access to this or continue to have access, if I gave you a stage and a and a microphone in five minutes, there's there's an intentional end five minutes and put in front of you everybody you would ever want to influence what's the one thing that you would want them to know that would get everybody that one step closer to a world where understanding is the norm i think it's the consciousness that listening is a skill it's not a natural capability that is a transformative realization and as soon as you accept that you can start to work at that skill and it's fun, you know, listening is an amazing thing to become good at. And it's so powerful in your life if you want to persuade people, inspire people, have great relationships, 
I mean, what's the most common complaint in relationships? He or she never listens to me. You know, listening is such an important skill. That's the one thing I would love. Uh, you know, I, t I describe myself these days as a sound evangelist, but I suppose more even than that, I'm a listening evangelist. Um, so that, you know, the, the big talk on speaking, fantastic. Uh, people are very concerned with speaking. They need to understand that underpinning that is their listening. It's a circle. Listening is absolutely critical and it's a skill and we can improve it. It's not natural. That's the one thing I'd love everybody to understand. Well, thank you so much. Listening, to, consciously listening to you has been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Judy. It's been a real pleasure being here. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, if you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, juliemasters.com pop in your email address it is free we will not spam you but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work it's called the influencer code it's not long but it is full of value so download it keep it share it juice it for all it is worth I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.